We are in part six of our Discovering the Kingdom series through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I entitled this morning's message, A Life Worth Imitating. And I want to talk to you for a little bit as I lead you into the fill in the blank. If you are watching online, this is where you kind of fire up the app. And trust me, my intro is so long, you have plenty of time to get there, to fill out the, the fill in the blank there. You're going to kind of go, oh my goodness, if that's his intro, we're never leaving. I totally understand that. But just understand, I took that into account. But I wanted to share a couple thoughts with you that I think are really, really important. And it begins with this. How did Christianity go from an obscure place on the planet with one man to world dominant through the Roman Empire in 300 years? That's a really fast movement. How did it happen? How was it replicated? It was lifestyle duplication. It was one person living it out and talking to another person. It was all word of mouth. It was not any social media. It was not a big advertising blitz. It was person to person, but it was a duplication of lifestyle to lifestyle. Unfortunately, That is not necessarily how we think about it anymore. We think a lot more about the philosophy of Christianity. We talk a lot. We think a lot. We don't do a lot. Now, the problem with that is there's a fundamental flaw when we merely do thought transfer. You see, if we do thought transfer and we only tell people how to think and, oh, i got to think about my own sin and i got to handle my own issues and, and I just have my own private, personal prayer time. And if everything is personal and connected only to you, you're not doing the full Christian experience. You're actually missing a huge amount of it. It would be considered, in my opinion, an anemic version. Why? Because... Christianity was designed to be a lifestyle duplicating method, and how can they duplicate your lifestyle if they can't see it? I have a haunting question for you. Imagine that we took your life, and we put it into a movie, and we were going to play the movie here, but we have it on mute. Can anyone tell you're a Christian? Because it cuts out everything you say, and it only goes with what you do. So they would watch you go to the store. Yeah, but everyone in the world goes to the store. They watch you hang out at a coffee shop, but lots of people go to coffee shops. If you cut out everything you said, is there any evidence with action that you are a Christian? Because here's the reality. If you watch the silent movie of Jesus, you still know he's Jesus. If you watch a silent movie of him and his disciples, you still know who they are. Not just because they're wearing dresses, right? But because you see there was a guy that was paralyzed and now he's following Jesus. You watched him walk on water. You watched him do all these amazing things. Yeah, sure, he would sit down and he would talk and do the Sermon on the Mount, but you would also see a man who clearly looks demon-possessed set free. You don't need the volume on to know that it's Jesus Christ. Then why do we need the volume on to be able to tell if any of us are Christians? Ah, 
We're supposed to duplicate how to effectively walk out the Christian life. It is never about trying to demonstrate perfection. It is simply trying to show people that Jesus made a difference in you and you need him every day. If you can convey that, I need you to duplicate your life. We get so hung up on, I don't want to duplicate until I'm perfect. I don't want to duplicate until I know more. I don't want to duplicate. Listen, we worry so much about having all the right answers. I need to be very clear. No one knows all the right answers. You cannot wait until you are perfect because there's only been one perfect Christian, and that was Jesus, and you're not him. We've got to realize there are people that are longing to see if Christianity matters, and they need a tangible example that feels a little more close to home. Yeah? At some point in history, and I'm not quite sure when, I would suggest to you it's been hundreds of years now, Christianity, primarily in the Western world, stopped being effective for about 50% of the population. And here's why. Christianity shifted from being a faith of power to a faith of talk. Talk didn't change the world. Power changed the world. So at whatever point in history we decided that it was okay to merely talk about things and philosophize about things, we dropped out the very core of power that would transform a life. And I feel like that's where things started getting very, very difficult for certain types of personalities. I would suggest to you that when we shifted away from action, that became a significant struggle for about two-thirds of men. We wonder why men struggle to be in church, why they are not usually the dominant ones in church, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the structure of the church does not lean into their strengths. And I, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but I'll give you a little hint. Did you know that all men have a hero complex? <laughs> hero complex means we lean into where we're strong and we walk away from where we are weak. The problem is, is the church setting, only about one-third of us can feel strong here. So we'll show up out of obligation. We'll show up out of responsibility, but we don't feel as connected because two-thirds of us are much more comfortable working with our hands than talking with our mouths. How did Jesus run it? Because here's what's interesting about the way Christ did this. He had probably hundreds of disciples. He selects out 12 of them, calls them apostles, says, I want you to follow me. What he meant was, I want you to quit your careers. I want you to give up all creature comforts. As a matter of fact, I'm going to promise you it's not going to go well for you. We find out ultimately that one commits suicide along the way. All the other ones are murdered except for one. How in the world did one guy who they didn't even know ultimately who he was, how did one man convince 12 other men to give up their entire lives for him? They weren't getting anything in return, right? 
I mean, that's how it looked. And you go, yeah, well, I kind of have this motivation in my heart. Like if it was really Jesus, I can give him three years of my life. They didn't know it was three years. They only found that out in retrospect. They thought it was for the rest of their lives. Jesus literally told them, I have nowhere to lay my head. I'm homeless. I'm couch surfing with you guys, right? So they weren't going to have any of that stuff. And you go, yeah, but okay, let's go back to it, pastor. I would follow Jesus because he's my Lord and Savior. And he, they don't know any of that yet. Everything you're about to tell me, you learned in the New Testament. They don't have the New Testament. They're writing the New Testament. So all they knew was there was a fascinating man that invited them into a fascinating ministry. They don't yet know he's the Messiah. They didn't fully know that till after he died and rose again. They don't even understand fully all the miracles they were watching. So why are 12 men giving up their entire lives, likely giving up their friends, clearly giving up their careers to follow this guy? There's something that he offered them. There was something they were a part of that was captivating. What was that? I'm going to give you five major elements of Jesus' earthly ministry. Five major elements of Jesus' earthly ministry that they, could, that they could observe and say, that's different. You want to write these down. If you are a note taker, by all means... <clears throat> this is where you want to write these down. I'll give you five of them. Number one, <clears throat> this is the one that we are most familiar with. Jesus preached powerful truth. Jesus preached powerful truth. In other words, he said that he came from heaven. He said that he was there and now he's here. So he talked almost like he knew the inside scoop. He would talk about God's heart. He would talk about heaven, sin, hell. Death, freedom, salvation, grace. He would just keep talking. He told stories that were so captivating, he could grab thousands of people at one time. He would teach through a brilliant parable that not only got one message across, but people would dwell on it for weeks and keep coming up with new truth. Was he a great speaker? Was he a great communicator? Absolutely. And did he share the words of life? Yes, he did. But that was one of his parts of his ministry. Let's go to number two. He lived a different, deeper, and truer spiritual life. He lived a different, deeper, and truer spiritual life. Not only was his character impeccable, but the way he loved on people actively was totally different. He put other people first and himself on the back burner. When it came to serving, he literally took the role of a slave, washing the feet of his disciples, when in fact that was completely upside down in their society. These men watched him hang with the outcast. They watched him walk into areas, even in their nation, that nobody walks into. He broke through taboos to set the oppressed free. He was something different. They watched him not only do mighty things, but they were invited into the Garden of Gethsemane where they saw him cry and sweat great drops like blood. 
You see, that whole integrity, I'm all in, I am who I say I am, and I love people unlike you've ever seen before, that's captivating. And that was Jesus. Number three, Jesus led a miracle, excuse me, Jesus led a ministry of miraculous adventure. Jesus led a ministry of miraculous adventure. <clears throat> Started out kind of weird for four guys, they're fishermen, and he's like, hey, you guys, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we all kind of get amazed by this. It's actually a really weird phrase. Uh, real quick, I have a question. Why do I want to catch dudes? I'm sorry. I don't, like, if it was a women's ministry, totally understand the line. I don't, I don't really get it for us. What are we doing here? What do you mean, fishers of what? Uh, okay, I, I have plenty of men. I don't, I don't need more. What was the point? Whatever it meant, it meant you're now going to impact the world. You're going to change other people. You're going to have a significant footprint on this planet because you're walking with me. And that's when they immediately went, that's significant. I am all in for significance, yes. And there was nothing boring about his ministry, right? He quieted storms. He multiplied food. He walked on water and led a revolution against the religious leaders of his day. Anybody want to sign up for something like that? Yeah, man, they're like, I'm all in. That's awesome. I want to do that. That's cool. That's when things got really interesting. Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and wait, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from everywhere. Okay, we got three things about his ministry. I think we need to add a couple more, yeah? Number four, miraculous healing. Miraculous healing. It says he healed every type of disease, pain, and suffering. There was nothing that he could not do. As a matter of fact, they watched him heal lepers, open the ears of the deaf, open the eyes of the blind, cause paralytics to walk, and even raise the dead. Matthew said this in chapter 15, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. And the crowd was amazed. Imagine seeing that in ministry every day. But we have to add another one. Number five, exorcism ministry. Exorcism ministry. Story after story of demons being cast out. That was a big part of Jesus' ministry. Why? Because he said, I am here to set the captives free. What is the essence of demon possession? Captivity and bondage. Jesus said, not on my watch. Anytime he came in contact with someone that was held down by the enemy, 
he set them free. That's a big deal. Do you realize that one of his closest associates, companions, friends, was Mary Magdalene? Why did she follow him around? Because she was set free from what? Seven demons. Anybody know what the number seven stands for? The number of perfection, the number of fulfillment. What that means is, in their viewpoint, she had enough demons that it was total control. She had the perfect amount, the total amount, the complete amount of demons, meaning she was fully taken over and Jesus set her free. When you have a ministry like that, are you not going to follow that one? Absolutely, right? Luke 6 says this, and Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all the area. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and he healed them all. That's a ministry. Twelve men signed up for that and gave up their entire world, willing to die for it. What Jesus demonstrated was a different level of teaching, active love, adventure, healing, exorcism. And here's what's most fascinating. If you go to the next book, so that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what's the next book? Acts, what does Acts show you? That all of his followers did the exact same stuff and even more. They did great teaching. They did active love. They did adventure. They did healing. They did exorcism. It's actually part of their whole ministry. They took his life and they duplicated every element of it other than the Messiah stuff. And that leads us to the fill in the blank. Welcome, that was just my intro. Here we go. <laughs> fill in the blank in front of you is this. Who are you imitating and who's imitating you? Who are you imitating and who's imitating you? Understand, those disciples imitated everything of Jesus and they carried it out to a T. We're gonna learn all about how that needs to be something that we do in our own personal lives with the people around us. All right, let's get into the context of where we're at. We're in a series through the book of Corinthians, and here to catch you up is that it was a church that Paul planted about four years prior, and they were kind of done with him already. Quite frankly, he got him kicked off, but they had really kind of listened to other teachers by then. Over the last four years, they heard some pretty good speakers, probably listened to some pretty killer podcasts probably listen to some pretty amazing programs on TV, right? And they realize Paul's kind of a country bumpkin. Like, yeah, he would always talk about the basic stuff, and he wasn't all that fancy. And in their society, if you really wanted to draw a crowd, you were an incredible orator. You were able to say things in a beautiful way and in a captivating way. And Paul, well, he's kind of basic. Yeah, I mean, he could do a couple cool things, but eh, other than that, he's all right. But he started coming in and telling them how to live their lives. And remember, nobody likes to be told what to do. So they started to push against his authority. 
And he began to lean in more and was like, no, 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 kids, you don't get to just make up your own faith. I got this straight from Jesus. That's all we're talking about. Well, they started bucking his authority. And they started telling him, we actually don't want you anymore. And then he said this, you guys, you have a lot of influences in your life, but I'm your spiritual dad. doesn't matter what you want. I was there at the beginning. I'm going to be there at the end. I love you like no one else loves you. Everyone else has different neat thoughts. Everyone else has different ideas. You know what? I'm willing to die for you. You do not hold my opinion and some podcast in the same way. I'm the one that's going to walk with you. I'm the one that's going to cry over you. I'm the one that's going to pray for you in the middle of the night when I know in the spirit that you're struggling. That's what spiritual fathers do. And that's what I do for you. And you know what you should be doing for me as my kids? And that's where we pick up the story. Yeah? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Can you turn there with me? I'm reading out of the ESV. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Here's what he says. I urge you then, be imitators of me because that's what kids do. That's why I'm sending to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Notice it's not just talk about how I live in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. All right. Duplication of life, it's what Christianity is. We cannot simply tell people the gospel, we must show them the gospel. We must live out the gospel. We must be consistent with what we are saying. Do you live as if Jesus makes a difference? Because everyone's trying to match up whether or not what you say is any more legit than what other people are saying. Because we have a lot of opinions, do we not? Here's something interesting to me. There are professors in colleges that teach things like nihilism. Nihilism means nothing ultimately matters. And yet, their lifestyle does not match their teaching. If they were truly nihilist, I should probably only be able to find them on their couch in a dark room doing nothing. And yet, they seem to be living full lives as if things did have meaning. So I look and I go, your lifestyle does not match what you're teaching me. So I don't think you own it. Well, in the same way, shouldn't everybody be able to look at a Christian and figure out by your lifestyle whether or not what you say is legit? So we cannot simply tell them. We must demonstrate it as well. So duplication of life from Christian to Christian, if I tell you, come follow me or be discipled by me, you should be able to follow my lifestyle and not just my words. That duplication of life is how it all works. It's what Jesus did. How do we know that? Well, it's what I just said, Matthew 10, 5. These 12 men, Jesus sent out instructing them, saying, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. 
That's it. How in the world are they supposed to raise the dead? That seems to be a high calling, right? Imagine that was on your job description at work, right? Why would they know how to raise the dead? Because if I told you, all right, everybody, go raise the dead. Well, I told you, I communicated information to you. What I did not do is tell you how or show you how. Is that correct? So how in the world are you supposed to know that? But they did see him raise the dead. They were with him when he rose multiple people from the dead. So in their minds, seen it, walked through it, learned it, I'm on my way. That's how Christianity is supposed to be uh, propagated. Duplication of life. It's what Paul did with Timothy. If you go to any leadership summit, any leadership conference in the church, inevitably it's going to come back around to mentoring. And whenever you get to mentoring, everybody's got to mention Paul and Timothy because it was one of the most obvious. Paul takes this young man under his wing, shows him his entire ministry and life, has the guy travel with him, shares every bit of his world with him, so much so that he can send Timothy out to his most difficult job sites, Corinth, Ephesus, and know it's being handled exactly like Paul would have handled it. That is perfect discipleship. They're not even same personalities. But he knew that this young man would take everything he learned from Paul, put it through the, the lens of his personality, and start acting it out. And Paul's like, that's my man. I can send him right here in the Corinthians. I'm going to send him to you, and I know he's going to be exactly like me. That's how Christianity works. So he's sending Timothy to role model for them. Okay, so why do we duplicate ourselves? Why don't we just keep it as a personal faith? And this is such a mistake of the modern church, especially in the Western world. Christianity was launched in a communal, not an independent mindset. We always think it's, I'm going to go and I'm going to do private worship. I'm going to go and do personal study. I'm going to consider my issues. I'm going to talk to the Lord just by myself. That's not it. It's a communal faith. We're supposed to be doing these things together. Why should we do them together? Because your faith matters to me. Your faith impacts my faith. Because I'm not good alone. So what happens is we tend to get together, and when I see something in your life that is awesome from the Lord, I want to duplicate it. Your spiritual reality changes my spiritual reality. It's not really just about you. It's about everyone around you. We should be constantly spurring one another on. You should be able to hang out with other Christians and feel stronger when you emerge out of the hangout. That's how it should be, right? So it's not only personal. And you go, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. You, we're supposed to share our lives. All right, cool. But this, it kind of freaks me out. Well, hold on a second. Let me go back over it. It's never about perfection. And if you end up putting on a mask to try to look better than you are, you just ruined your ability for someone to role model with you. Yep. You can't role model a mask. 
See, we have become, and it's become very visual in today's social media, we all operate off highlight reels, right? Nobody ever, when they finally get a chance to speak in front of somebody, nobody ever just talks about their failures. Everybody mentions, yes, other than Mike. <laughs> Everybody, yeah. Everybody wants to talk about what they did well. So they're hanging out at a party or they're hanging out and they just start talking about things they've done well. Well, we watched what happened when that went on social media. Your house is normally trashed, but the one picture you took when it was super clean, you put online. Now everyone assumes that you walk around in a perfect house at all times, right? You know, and every greatest accomplishment you put online. So people are looking at it and going, I can't live up to that. You can't live up to that. Nobody does. It's not a real thing. But we kind of say it that way. So if we're going to sit down and disciple somebody, we tend to go, okay, well, I'm going to give you the highlight reel. Here's how I was great in prayer. Here's how I'm great in this. Here's how, and the other person leaves and they go, I'm never going to be that. And here's the interesting thing. Can you please drop the comparison game with other people? Can you be you? Here's what's interesting to me. Well, I would probably disciple and lead more people, uh, Lance, if I had your personality. Okay, let me be very clear on something. There are shy people that would much rather have a shy person share the Lord than me. I am not calm. You understand what I'm saying? Like, okay, let me give you an example. I do this show, this radio show called Pastor to Pastor Radio Show. It's on KFIA, right? So I meet with other pastors. Well, I'm like, oh, look, we're the same. You're a pastor, I'm a pastor. I finished doing my first couple sets of recording in the studio, and the lady that runs it there, Ann Meyer, she, she pulls me aside and she's like, Lance, you are so good at this. Real good, just have one hint for you. You're kind of a lot. She's like, it can be a little intimidating. It can be a little over the top on, you know. And she's like, some of these guys are pretty nervous. They've never been on the radio before. And I'm not even thinking about that. I'm like, oh, look, another. It's almost like a golden retriever sees a golden retriever, right? You're like, let's play, right? Okay, well, if you are not a loud, obnoxious person, you don't need a loud, obnoxious person talking to you about the Lord, what you need is someone that's quiet and gentle and shy. You need someone that's not going to overwhelm you. So when you start looking out and you compare and you're like, oh, well, if I was only like this, I would do more for the kingdom. No, we don't need more of that. We need more of you. And you go, well, I'm not a super religious person. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now we'll actually get something done. Because most people don't want to hang out with a religious person. They want to hang out with somebody that's alive in their faith. And you go, well, I do construction for a living. And that's why you make sense to everyone that's not in professional ministry. Does that make sense? I mean, it's just be you. They just need Jesus through you. And you don't need to know all the answers. They don't even know all the right questions to ask, right? Nobody knows all the answers. It is always going to be about demonstrating real, active, growing, and effective relationship with God. Here's what they need to know. Does it work for you? Did he change you? People need to know that we're real. 
people need to know that God changed us. People need to know that our Christianity makes a difference. People need to know what it looks like to be a Christian on a Wednesday. And people need to know that we love God with all our heart. If you can say yes to those things, I need you duplicating your life with somebody else. I think, honestly, the vast majority of you, what I just read is as natural as breathing to you. I don't think it's hard. I don't think it's scary. I don't think there's heavy lifting. I think it's just you being you. Now, if we stop the message right there, everything that you heard was this. We need to be duplicating our lives into other people so they can learn from us to know what Christianity looks like. If we just stopped right there, I think it's very important. But there's another thing that Paul says, and I, 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 we need to cover it this morning, but it's going to take everything to a next level. So there are some of us that are Christians that say, all right, pastor, I hear what you said, and I'm working on duplicating. I'm working on trying to figure out how I can open up my life to other people, right? So I'm willing, I'm willing to do that. However, I'm not quite sure how to do that. And before we go on to our, our next level, can we just get practical for a moment? So let me just give you two things that are very practical about sharing your life with other people. Because I'm going to get to the next level stuff, but I figure I want to hit this, something practical before we move on. Is that all right? So let me, give you, let me give you two things on how to invite other people to imitate you for the kingdom of God. Because once again, it's not an arrogant thing. It's a helpful thing. Other people need to know. So how do we do it practically? Okay, write down this. Number one, open doors. Open doors, okay? Now, here's how open doors works. Jesus was sending his leaders out ahead of him, and he said, all right, you guys, you're going to go into these towns where you don't know anybody, but I need you to prep it for me because I'm going to be rolling in after you. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to look for open doors. And they're like, I don't understand. What do you mean? He goes, okay, well, let me tell you. Here's how it works. They open the door. Uh, Hi, I'm a Christian, and uh, I'm here on behalf of Jesus Christ. And I went, and they slammed the door. (laughs) Jesus said, that's called a closed door. (laughs) Okay, let's try it again. Hi, I'm a Christian, and Jesus is going to be coming, and I wanted to know if you... Oh my gosh, you're a Christian. My grandma's a Christian. Okay. Come on in. I just made cookies. Okay, that is called an open door. Right? Now, if we're not very... If we're not very savvy at hearing people, we're not using good listening skills, we might miss it right? Because a lot of times people don't know how to communicate what they ultimately need. And some things feel like an open door or a closed door. So let me give you a couple more examples. If you're at work and you start talking about your faith and you're like, uh, hey, so anyway, I was at church the other day and your coworker goes, I think I just threw up in my mouth. Okay. (laughs) That's called a closed door. (laughs) Okay. Just using practical examples. Okay. If you share and you go, you go, you know what? I was at church the other day and they go, hold on a second. You go to church? You're like, yeah. You know what? I've never been to a church. I wonder if I'm going to go with you one of these days. That's called an open door, right? 
okay, if we use active listening skills, sometimes we're going to assume something is a closed door, but it wasn't. And here's what I mean. There are some people that when they find out you're a Christian, they're going to have an instant defense mechanism that slides the door shut. Because here's what they do. You go, hey, I'm a Christian. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've heard about you people. <laughs> you guys are going to be mean to me. You're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong. You're going to tell me why I'm going to hell. I have zero interest in being around you. And they're about to slam the door, but they go, but I like you. And they leave it cracked. It looks closed, but if you pushed it, it would open. <laughs> and what that means is you have to be able to listen for the sensitivity that if they're sharing their life with you and they know you're a Christian and they're sharing vulnerability, that's them trying to say, I'm struggling to do life. Do you have any help for me? If you say, I'll pray for you, and they said, wow, that's really nice. That's an open door. Now, what Jesus was telling his followers is we're not here smashing doors down. The Holy Spirit has prepared hearts in advance, and they've been waiting for you. They just didn't know it, right? So the first thing about sharing our lives with other people is just looking for open doors, connections, right? Because the number one way you're going to share your faith is with people that love you and that you care about, right? Here's number two. Write this down. Availability. Availability. There's some of us that are like, you know, nobody at work ever asked me about my faith. And I'm like, you hide in your cubicle. Nobody even knows they're allowed to get near you. As a matter of fact, you're pretty grumpy. So they're certainly not going to have the Lord move them to come hang out with you and ask religious questions and wait for you to get over your hangry attitude that you hit at about 10, right? You've got to be available. Is there any margin? Is there any indicators that you are approachable, that you're actually a Christian that's willing to be sweet, willing to talk, not willing to blow them out of the water with what you dislike about what they think? Is there anything winsome? about you. Because that's how most connections are made very naturally, right? It's not formal. It's not, oh my gosh, how am I going to be able to talk to that one guy on the street and he's going to ask me all these apologetic questions that I don't know the answer. That rarely happens. Mostly, it's just people saying, so you tell me that God loves me. What does that mean? That's it. If we can roll with that, we can do this, right? All right. Now I wanted to shift over that that Paul says something that will kind of get me on a little bit of a soapbox, but I think it's really, really important. Let's take a look at verse 18. Here's what Paul said, and he's correcting some people, so it's a little bit harsh. 18 to 21. He said, some of you are arrogant, as though I were not going to show up, but I'll come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So what do you want? Should I, come with you, should I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? All right, so we do not get to just pull the Bible out of context. Let's talk about context. Paul is taking a shot out at him and saying, guys, listen, 
I understand that all of you are resisting me right now, but there's influencers among you. There are leaders among you that are starting all this problem. These are the arrogant ones standing against me. You know what? I'll come into town and let's go head to head. I'm tired of your yapping. You talk, you talk, you talk. You know what? The kingdom of God, if it's legit, has power behind it. So let's have a showdown. Let's go. What do you got? Because you keep telling me you're just as smart as me. I never claimed to be smarter than you. As a matter of fact, I'm not claiming to be intelligent at all. I'm claiming that I was this guy and God changed me and the power of the Holy Spirit flows through me. So you want to throw down? Let's go there because I'm not interested in your words anymore. Show me what you have. You keep saying you're my authority now. All right, go, demonstrate it. That's pretty powerful, yeah? Paul seems a little ticked off. Now, one thing that he noticed that I've noticed throughout ministry is this. Um, it's called they all. You guys know anything about they all? Okay. Let me share this with you. So anytime that someone dislikes what Bridgeway does or what I do, they come to me and share their opinion. And when I said, huh, I'm not seeing that, they said, no, they all agree with me. And I'm not sure who they all are, but according to most people, it's a huge mass of people, and they're really, really smart. <laughs> and they all disagree with me. And so what I find is it's a manipulation tool that anytime you want to get your opinion heard more, you say, they all think that. They all agree with me. They all are going to do this. Now, there's only a few times I've ever dug in and found out who the mysterious they all are, and almost always it's six of their friends. <laughs> now, it's still, still a little bit, little bit tough to deal with. So Paul knew the they all factor, and he was like, listen, there's a few of your leaders that I need to have a talk with because you guys are all just sheep running around doing whatever the influencer told you to do. So let me take them out, and then we'll have a conversation. Because I'm not quite sure your hearts are bad. What I'm saying is you're learning from people whose hearts are bad. And that's really a problem. So he's going to correct them. That is the context. Now, he did say something that we can apply to significant amounts of other passages. And that is the phrase, the kingdom of God is not merely of talk, it is of power. And this is where I step up on my little soapbox. This is something I like to talk about a lot. If you pull the supernatural out of the Bible, what do you have? A bunch of people chatting. That's it. A lot of talk. Nothing going on. Christianity does not exist without the supernatural. You cannot get saved without the supernatural. God is supernatural. You can't have any religion without supernatural. It doesn't even make any sense. All right? What's interesting, though, is it wasn't talk that changed the world. It was power that changed the world. At what point did the supernatural get divorced from the day-to-day -day Christian reality? Amen. Jesus said this in John 14. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the proof of the miracles themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. 
whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What's the point? Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. And they go, no, you're not. A lot of people have claimed to be the Messiah. He said, yeah, but can they do that? So let's spin it around to us. We're supposed to duplicate Jesus. Hey, we're Christians, and Christianity makes a difference. How do I know that? Well, I just told you. Yeah, but a lot of people tell me a lot of stuff. What do you got? Anything? What's your proof? What's your supernatural evidence that you're legit? Because we are left with merely talk. And then we end up arguing with people. What is that all about? Hey, I have to argue my philosophy over your philosophy. Or your philosophy is actually Christianity and it's real and it truly has power and it changes lives. If theirs is real and changes lives, then maybe you're wrong. Do you have any evidence? Here's kind of how Paul viewed it in Romans 15. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. What was his point? You know what full ministry looks like? Word, deed. I got it all. If we're only doing word, we're only doing 50% of Christianity. That's a problem. Because he said, that's not full ministry. Talking isn't full ministry. Demonstration is full ministry. If you remember earlier in Corinthians in chapter 2, Paul said this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the thoughts and wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What was his point? I'm glad I didn't talk really good because I was forced to demonstrate the Holy Spirit's power so that your faith didn't rest on philosophy, it rested on true power from heaven. So are we operating in that type of power? Ultimately, where the church began to go into talk and not action was we released two of the three action arms of the church. I'll give you an example. So the three action arms historically of the church are number one, compassion and helps. That's the one we kept. That is the Mother Teresa, I get in the dirt, I sacrifice for you, I'm generous to you, I give of myself, and I will be with you in the dirt and the muck and the mire. Christianity held on to that one. Praise the Lord. Because all throughout the world, if you want to talk about charities and organizations that are doing great things to help hurting people, you're probably going to find Jesus at the bottom of most of them. Right? Now, if your personality is in compassion and helps, the church seems very active for you. If that is not your gifting, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. You still feel frustrated. All right, second arm of the church that was action. Social justice and setting the captives free. 
Jesus led a revolution for the poor. Jesus led a revolution for the oppressed. Jesus led a revolution against the religious leaders of the day. The church does not do that anymore. And we haven't for a really, really, really long time. Why? Once we became dominant, we stopped doing it. Who are we supposed to lead a revolution against? Ourselves? That doesn't make any sense. So the church does not do that as a whole. Individual churches might do that. Individual people might do that. But anyone that's gifted towards activism and built that way usually has to use their gifts outside the church. Right? Okay. Third arm, supernatural ministry. It's what Jesus' ministry was, supernatural ministry. When we dropped that, we didn't have anything to do. What are people supposed to duplicate in your life if you're not casting demons and healing people or doing miracles? What are they supposed to duplicate? Bible study? Right? We feel a little bit weakened. And there's some of us that in our personalities, that would have been the thing that drew us to ministry in the first place. Okay. I told you that throughout this series that we're going to have these aha moments, right, through the year of discovery. And I've kind of shared them with you. And that was the idea that Jesus did things so we could do things. Does that make sense? Jesus died on the cross that we might have the power. Jesus set people free so that we could set people free, right? We've already talked about that, but here's the question I want to ask you and leave you with this morning. That's kind of that aha, hadn't thought about it that way, okay? The Bible says that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Is that correct? The Bible says, greater things will my followers do because I'm going to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit. So there should be greater works or what's called miracles once the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Is that correct? Yes. The Bible says that the minute you got saved, you became a child of God. And a child of God has different authority and power that is able to be heaven here on earth. Is that correct? Yes. The Bible says that demons should be afraid of you. Why? Because you are a walking temple of the presence of God, and demons cannot stand up against the presence of God. Therefore, you are to be the bold ones. Is that correct? All right. If we keep going on and on in this list, here's my question for you this morning. With all the power that is flowing from heaven into you, and it's extraordinary. Where's your outlet? Because if you're not using it, you're probably a little frustrated and you'll tend to just shut it down. So this is my question. If the energy is flying from heaven straight through you as a conduit, where do you get to use your power? Where do you get to exercise your power? Where do you get to utilize heavenly power? Wherever that is, I want you to lean into that, right? Because it's going to be very different for all of us, right? There's going to be some of us that are going to be able to operate this way and some in this way because God beautifully created diversity. But what I don't want, and the part that would make me most sad, is that you would say, I've been gifted, I have talents, I have the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I feel frustrated that I can't use any of it. That would freak me out. Because that means he built beauty that's not being utilized. 
And I would go, that's not right. That's not right. And you're like, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm not that big of a deal. God's a big deal. You're not supposed to be. He's supposed to be. So my encouragement for you is I want you to walk through this week and look for outlets of the power of God that's already present in you. I'm not telling you you need to work harder. I'm not telling you you need, need to do more stuff. I'm not telling you you need more devotionals. I'm just saying you're already loaded. Where can you use it? Where can you use your gifts, talents, power? Because I truly believe when you start watching God move through you, Christianity becomes far more fascinating. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Heavenly Father, we honor you this morning. You've already given us more than enough. <clears throat> we're, we're actually full. We are overflowing with presence, power, gifting, talents. <clears throat> but Lord, so many of us don't have any outlets because I guess, Lord, we're not, we're not seeing them the way you see them. So I just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would allow us to see it from your perspective, that you said, I built you this way for you to do this. God, we have limited your faith to an academic institution, and I think it breaks your heart. So I just pray, Lord, that there would be power back in your church. I pray that there would be power not just at Bridgeway, but across all the healthy churches, Lord, in our region. That, Lord, that Christians everywhere would be ignited. And, God, that we'd start seeing some impact in our society. That we'd start seeing some impact in the lives around us. So that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.